Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. to write a book. Firstly, congratulations, you're one of many. But do you have what it takes to write that book? You've definitely come to the right place to find out. Over the next few episodes, you'll hear from a few esteemed guests about everything they've faced in becoming a writer, the long nights of research, the decisions made in planning, finding out just where they can write the best. This week's podcast features a wonderful Australian author by the name of Patricia Leslie. I'll be reviewing her book, A Single Light, at the end of the episode. Why should you take a crack at writing that novel? Aside from relieving everyone of hearing you say, one day, for the rest of your life, there is a very good reason to put that Xbox controller, or screaming child, or buzzing phone, aside to take up the mantle of writer, to say you can, to get life organised to the point where you can set aside time every day to let your imagination run free. After all, books are just a thought exercise someone else wants to read. There are some people who start writing after their children have grown up and left home. Others, such as Christopher Paolini, get started in their teens. Most people begin their writing journey in the middle, while working a job they hate, or looking after their children. It doesn't matter when you start, only that you do. Let's get one thing straight right now. Your first book is going to suck, and suck hard. It's inevitable. No one gets it right the first go, or even the seventh. Instead, you have to work at it and work hard. Come up with a plot you love, but the story itself blows? That's okay. That's what rewrites are for. Make sure you tell as many people as you can that you are going to write that book. It shames you into either explaining your failure to your entire family one at a time, over and over and over again, or sitting your butt down and getting writing. Trust me, it works. In the end, it's all down to you and that pen, or keyboard or phone screen or whatever you're writing with. You've decided to write that book, you're prepared, and you've told everyone you know, even just see casually at the coffee shop, that you're going to write. Time to get your space organised. As promised, here we are today to talk to Patricia Leslie, author of A Single Light. Alright, so in your own words, give us a basic rundown of the story. Well, A Single Light is set in the southern suburbs of Sydney and we have supernatural beings, some good, some bad. Obviously, you need to have the bad ones. And uh, there's a big fight and a quest to save humanity on the shores of the Royal National Park. Okay, so... Why did you pick Southwest Sydney? Well, I'm from Southwest Sydney, so when it um, actually it's Southeast Sydney. So when describing location and geography, there's nothing like um, really knowing the area that you're setting the story. And considering I grew up in uh, the Royal National Park or next to the Royal National Park, and did a lot of bushwalking there. Uh, 
over my entire lifetime. It's um, very easy to write about. So does the cave actually exist? I've been been wondering about this. The cave on the sea, does that actually exist? Yes, it does. It's it's called Fisherman's Hut, and it's been there since, I believe, World War II. So is it true that you don't know whether it's actually carved or whether it was a natural thing? I think it's a bit of both. It's quite... Where it is, there's... Um, a ledge and you can walk under the ledge so it's it's a, it's a sort of cave and then one end's been uh, bricked in somehow that's what I think it is. Okay so you decided to write in southeast Sydney because that's where you live why did you pick the supernatural creatures you picked? I don't know they just came to mind I wrote it a long time ago um, about 10 years ago so before all the um, big increase of interest in vampires and uh, that sort of a monster and it just seemed when you're walking through the bush and the bush is really high all around you and there's lots of noise and it's hot and just having scary things seep out of the bush and attack people just seemed rather obvious at the time. So did the story change a lot from the first draft? No, not really. A few of the characters changed around. I wrote the first draft in about three weeks. I took time off work so I could do it full-time and then worked on it polishing it up for over a few years and really only the characters changed a lot um, because the setting was all there because it's areas that I know very well. That's funny that you say it took three weeks I know a lot of people who go oh it takes me like two three years to write the first draft of a book it took me a week to write one of mine so I have great admiration for anyone who can do it in under 12 months so you have my admiration in that. Well I don't think I could do that now because now I work full-time and well I worked then as well but I had to take three weeks off and then tell my family not to bother me all day for three weeks so that I could get the writing done so it's it's all the distractions and interruptions that make the process take a lot longer. Did you have a young family or a bit of an older family? The kids were used to me riding so it wasn't a problem and uh, they were sort of early to mid-teens so they had their own things to do as well so it was pretty good. Um, a lot easier than when they were a little bit younger. Under 10 is a bit more difficult. Would you say you'd have any advice for anyone who wants to take massive chunks of time off to go right? Uh, well, if you've got young children, train them early to give you your time so that you can concentrate. If you're working, well, what I do is take time off. I'm taking another week off shortly to get some really good work done on my next novel. And that way you, you can stop thinking about work and housework and all that sort of thing you just need to be able to concentrate i guess you'd have to train your partner a little bit too wouldn't you yes you would have to train him as well or her you mentioned the future novel can we get a teaser uh well i've only written well i've written a few little bits of it it's sort of i think it's going to be a series this time because i've got so many strands of story coming into it um but it's set in sydney in the 1800s and starts on the isle of sky in the 1600s or earlier there's no real time set for that section and then it deals with a lot of Sydney history so um, immigration from Scotland and living in Sydney around the time particularly around the botanical gardens in that area it's a very interesting heritage I've been doing a lot of reading about it 
I can't wait to get really stuck into it. It's going to be good. You've already got me interested in reading it, so I'll probably stop by Supernova table and pick it up. Speaking of Supernova, what kind of promotional stuff do you do? I mean, you obviously do the conventions because that's where I found you. I do mostly the conventions because my publisher sets all that up and I go along with a few of the other authors and support. we support each other as well as the publisher. We usually have giveaways at the conventions, bookmarks or postcards with the Aerobarus key. The last convention, I had I had found through Etsy a, a necklace of the Robrus key which I quite liked so I bought a few of those and gave those away I have no idea what I'm going to give away with this book but I'm thinking of badges and bookmarks and other than conventions I go to a few community markets I don't do a lot because the sales aren't really worth it you've got to pay your market fee you've got to have insurance and all your setup so it's quite time consuming and gets expensive but I have a friend who does market stores so I go and deal an end of one of her tables and she sells my books for me you can just imagine you're like squatted on like a foot of table just trying buy my book buy my book do you do any online advertising does your publisher do any of that kind of stuff we do with the Eurobris key I did some Facebook advertising it doesn't do a lot it's hard to tell because it's really hard to everyone's doing it so it's really hard to get anyone's attention and and I'm as guilty of that as anyone I skim through ads like crazy so I mostly try and build up brand awareness I suppose you call it by being active on Twitter and Facebook and doing things other than promoting myself as well so I'll share links on Twitter for interesting articles or book reviews that I've come across Odyssey publisher writers a few of us that are active on social media will share each other's things around as well so it gets a wide audience and on Facebook I just do a few posts a week and I share quotes or I share pictures or I talk a bit about if I've been writing a bit about that and then that's mostly it. Instagram when I go out I go to heritage sites to visit I like old buildings so I take photos and share those on Instagram it's not really much for promoting a novel per se but it sort of gets me out there. It's always good to have some sunshine especially as a novelist people think that all you do is sit in a dark room <laughs> that's not true we haunt cafes too I, mean, I get on. a lot of writing done at cafes yeah and th- no one makes a better coffee than someone who does it for a living let's be honest that's right <laughs> now before we started this conversation I gave you a question and that question was when and how did you first begin to sit down and take serious crack at writing okay well I know exactly when I started uh, creative writing I was writing poetry which was really really bad but that seemed to be what I went for and I just started writing this one poem and it was about a person and by the time I got to my third or fourth A4 page of scribble I thought "Mm, maybe this should be a short story so I turned it into a short story and I ditched the bad poetry and started writing short stories. I did that for a few years and then I got to the Aerobarus Key and I thought I've always done a lot of reading of Celtic and Native American cultures and early Christianity and all that sort of an area, something that really fascinates me, hidden history and that sort of thing. When I started writing the Aerobarus Key, everything I'd read clicked into place and I thought, no, this is more than a short story. This one is going to be a novel and will be worth putting a few years of effort into. It didn't take long to write the first draft, a few 
months, but um, I did a lot more research. I did a road trip over to America to um, make sure I had the settings right and uh, set it in an area which I already knew because I was an exchange student. And, and it was just with that story that I knew I finally had something that I could take to a publisher. I can never pronounce this right. In my head, I call it the honorous key. It's the aerobus key. And let me tell you, after spending so many years writing it, just before it got published, I thought, I better figure out how to say this word. So I went on Google and did the Google thing and got Google to tell me how to pronounce it. And then I spent a few days practicing so that I could say it without tumbling over the letters. Okay, so the aerobus key. Very good. That was your first novel, is that right? It was, yes. What was the process for getting that published with Odyssey? Uh, well, it was long and arduous because I'd been trying to... I finished it in 2007 and didn't get the contract for publishing until 2013, early 2013 when I got the contract. And I was just about to give up throw it in the bin and I thought I'll try one last time and I had two publishers I was going to try and have someone I'd met on Twitter had just gotten a contract with Odyssey so I asked her what that publisher was like and she said she's very nice so I gave it a go and lucky I did because she was the she's the only one that's offered me a contract for it so I was very happy. Now when I was submitting my books I had a goal of papering my bedroom wall with rejection letters before I got a contract. Mm-hmm. Did you have something like that? How high was your stack? Uh, it was fairly high. I haven't papered my wall, but I, I didn't mind getting the rejections. It kind of makes it easier as you go along. But you know, most of the rejections were pretty polite, So, or they were a few of them were um, constructive, which was very good. Those ones I kept and, made, and read them every now and again to try and improve what I was writing and trying to improve the way I was sending in the proposals to publishers. I see. I only ever got form rejections, so I never got really much help for it well most of the rejections were form rejections but I got a couple that were not and they were good rejections I suppose they were probably from literary agents too literary agents are just as hard to get a contract with as a publisher so it's been a pretty decent journey for you then yeah it's been good it's been long but um, I've persevered so I'm I'm not starving in an attic, so that was lucky. I've got a single light has just come out a couple of weeks ago, and um, my publisher's already interested in my next one, so that's good. And once that's written, I've got another one after that, which I've already started and I've put off to write. So I've got enough to keep me going. I just need the sales so that I can quit my day job and concentrate on my writing. That That's the dream for everyone, I think. It certainly is, and I don't know how achievable it is, but it's a lifelong goal, I suppose. I'll probably be retired before I get there, but oh well. <laughs> At which point you'll be living off the pension and getting an income for writing anyway, so. Yes, that's right. And it'll be so small it won't affect my pension, so it all will be good. Do you have the problem where if you sit down and you're like, right, I've got two weeks, I have nothing to do, do you ever get into the habit of, all right, I'll just do this one little thing, or I'll just check Facebook, or have you trained yourself out of that? I know, I'm terrible for checking Facebook. I check it all the time. Facebook, uh, mostly Facebook and emails I don't check Twitter that much I was bad at Twitter but I sort of got myself off that one but it's really hard you've got to be active on these things 
as an author uh, to get any attention, otherwise people forget you within seconds. Um, but at the same time, it's so addictive. When I try, I try and write and I check my Facebook and all that first, and then I try not to pay any attention. Once I get stuck into writing and get really into it, then I forget about Facebook and I forget about everything and just write. So it's fine then. It's just getting to that stage. Do you turn your laptop onto airplane mode while you're trying to get into it? Or? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still there. It's on my phone. It's on my iPad. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> I put them on another room and then I put my computer on airplane mode and that kind of gets me to focus. Oh, okay. <laughs> it doesn't work very well because the button's just there. But Yeah, sometimes I'll have my iPad next to me and that's for Facebooking when I feel the need and then I just write on my computer. <laughs> Oh, wonderful that we have all these bits of technology. We can just section them off and get rid of them if we... Yeah, if we need to. A Single Light is a book that, to me, revamps the parafiction genre a bit. We've had so many werewolf, vampire, blah 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 books come out in the last 10 plus years that it's hard to find a book that will recapture the wonder of your first parafiction. A Single Light, however, aside from focusing on ghouls and guardians and hunters, and the politics slash massacres that go along with them, offers a taste of apocalyptic fiction, of magic, and is set in the middle of the Australian bush. Yay for the Aussies. There are some downsides. Fourth wall breaking, for example, when one of the main characters wonders at the fact that all chosen ones must die, the fact that it's only a four hour read, the ending didn't really draw too hard against the heartstrings, generally owing to revelations about the characters' present states, but they are few and far between and offer very little distraction from the action of the final scene. There's a lot of good in this book and you'd do well to read it. Beyond the Words is a proud part of the Modern Meltdown podcasting network. Head over to themodernmeltdown.com to check out our other shows or like us on Facebook for witty and amusing updates.